Psalm 80. To the choir master, according to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, December 25th, 2004. Can you believe almost nearly 19 Christmases ago? Most of us can't remember uh, what we had for dinner last night, let alone uh, what we were doing in 2004. But all of us probably have an idea of what we were doing 19 Christmases ago. Because uh, it's what we do almost every year. We eat with good meals with close friends and families, share, swap stories, uh, tales of yesteryear. I never use that word, yesteryear. Uh, giving gifts to one another, receiving gifts, uh, watching a Christmas story for like the hundredth time, right? December 25th, 2004 was probably an ordinary Christmas for most of us, uh, but for a group of people halfway around the globe, the Indonesians, it was nothing but an ordinary day. On December 25th, 2004, on the other side of the planet, the, the Indonesians were bracing for what would later be known in history as the worst tsunami the world has ever seen. Uh, they called it the Christmas tsunami. Two words that should never exist together. The devastation experienced at the hands of this natural disaster was massive. Hundreds of thousands of lives lost, thousands of, upon thousands of homes crushed, entire cities pounded into rubble. 
December 25th, 2004. You and I, we slept um, safe and sound, bellies and hearts full, but halfway around the globe, on this day, an entire group of people were only hours away from experiencing the leveling of a lifetime. We're going to be in Psalm 80 this morning. Psalm 80 is, it's this song of lament written in response to a different sort of leveling. It's a song that we're meant to, I think, relate to and sing together when God allows our lives to be leveled in some way, too. Asaph, he's the guy who wrote this psalm, but it's really clear from the beginning that his isn't the only voice that we're meant to hear. In fact, Asaph is really just giving voice to his, his people's pain, Israel's pain. Look at verse 1. Hear us, shepherd of Israel. Verse 2, come save us. Verses 3, 7, and 19, restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 18, give us life and we will call upon your name. Israel is in a bad way. They're in a desperate place. They're likely in exile. And this is a desperate prayer. We got a taste of this even in the snippets that we just read together. God has leveled his people once again. We could say that he's, he's kicked out from under them the crutches one by one. Everything has been stripped from them. Their land, their blessing, their status, God's favor, gone. It's not a comfortable place to be. It's a hard place to be. Feeling leveled in some way hurts. It's painful. Maybe you can, maybe you can relate. Maybe God has leveled your dream for your life. Your marriage isn't the way you thought it would be. Your kids aren't where you dreamed they'd be. You don't have the job that you were hoping, that you dreamed that you'd have. You're not financially where you thought you would be. Your life isn't going the way that you had hoped and dreamed it would go. Maybe God has brought you through a really painful, difficult season of loss, of grief, of sorrow. Uh, maybe you're there right now. You feel emotionally, spiritually leveled. Like, like there are days when you think, uh, can, I, can, I even, can I even get to the next day? I've been there. I have felt that. Maybe God has recently leveled you in exposing sin in your own life. Maybe you feel shame and embarrassment because of this. God's leveling in our lives uh, is not comfortable. It hurts. You can almost hear the pain and shock in Asaph's voice as he describes God's leveling of Israel in verses 8 through 13. He says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its roots to the river. What a wonderful picture that is. And then listen to what he says next. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest rages it, ravages it, and all that moves in the field feeds on it. When you feel leveled in this life, 
weary Christian, what are you going to pray? When you feel leveled in life, what are you going to pray? What will you sing? What song will you sing? I want to suggest this morning that Psalm 80 invites us to cry out to God in the, the leveling of our lives in two ways. Two prayers that we're invited to pray in our pain. Uh, these two prayers, I think, capture much of what this psalm, we're not going to get to everything this morning, but it captures much of what this psalm is after. Prayer number one, God, don't forget my pain. Don't forget my pain. Prayer number two, God, I need you desperately. Don't forget my pain. I need you desperately. I was thinking this morning, I, it takes faith to pray little prayers like this. Um, I think it takes faith to pray prayers like this. And so I was praying, even this morning, that, that God would give us the faith to pray these things together. Uh, and to believe the promises of God that are, that are holding these prayers, these little prayers up. Uh, I think it takes these little prayers like, God, don't forget my pain. They're held up by the bigger promises of God. Isaiah 43, you are mine, the Lord says to his people. Deuteronomy 31, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These things are uh, seen throughout the scriptures. Little prayers like, God, I need you desperately, are held up by the, the, the bigger promises of God. Like, I am near to you. Psalm 145, or I am, I am able to save you, Isaiah 43. Rest in the big promises of God, even as, as we pray little prayers like this. All right, so first, the first prayer that Psalm 80 invites us to pray uh, when our lives feel leveled in some way, God, don't forget my pain. Have you ever prayed like this? God, don't forget my pain. Like, do you see the pain that I'm in? Don't forget me. Lots of the Psalms, if we were just to, to thumb through the Psalms together, give voice to prayers like this. Psalm 51, cast me not from your presence. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or Psalm 38, do not forsake me. Oh, Lord, it's, it's a common prayer in Jesus' prayer book, in the Psalms, because it's a common human experience. We all know what it's like to feel uh, invisible to those around us, right? We, we've probably all had that feeling of feeling invisible to others. But have you ever felt invisible to God? I wonder if you've ever felt invisible to God. Like you wonder, does God see the pain that I'm in? Does it even matter to him? Do I even matter? Well, this is where, interestingly, this is where we find Israel in this psalm. God feels deaf and distant. They feel invisible. They feel like the invisible ones. Verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Verse 4, O God, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Like How long until you answer our prayers for deliverance? Verse 14, turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. Listen, look down, see. They're praying, don't 
forget me in my pain. Don't forget my pain. And we can pray this too, God, don't forget the pain of the loss of friendship, my broken marriage, my, my wandering kids, my chronic pain, mental illness, shattered dreams. God, whatever we put in there, God, don't forget my pain. Some of us may feel a little leveled in some way this morning. It's so easy for us to think in these moments that God is, is really far off, that he has forgotten us, that he doesn't see, that he doesn't hear us. But if we're one of God's kids, uh, if you're in his family, in Christ, you can know with unswerving confidence that God has not forgotten you in your pain. Psalm 56 verse 8 comes to mind. Uh, it's, it's a vivid picture for us. David says, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God sees all of your tossings, Trinity. God sees all of your tossings. He knows all of your tears. He has not forgotten you. He will not abandon you. How can we be sure of this, though? We hear this. How can we really be sure of this? I think partly because our hope, when our lives are leveled, is tethered to the one who was forsaken on a tree for us. It's tethered to the one who, with his dying breath, cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to know uh, what it means like to be abandoned by the Father. But more than this, we can be sure that God won't forsake us in our pain because the Father did not forsake his Son forever. He didn't leave his Son in that dark, dingy tomb for long. You can be sure that God won't forget you, that he won't abandon you, that he won't leave you in your pain because God raised up his Son from the dead. That's good news. Jesus lives for you, Christian. Jesus lives for you, for me. He loves you. He's for you. And he can't bear, Jesus, your Savior, cannot bear to keep himself at a distance from you. Nothing, and I mean nothing, can hold him back from you. Not your sin, not your shame, nothing. It's just who our gentle and lowly shepherd is. Rest in this, Christian. Let's rest in this. Now and in the moments when we feel like our lives are leveled. This psalm also invites us uh, to pray another kind of prayer when our lives are leveled. It goes something like this. God, I need you desperately. God, I need you desperately. Man, do we need to pray this as a church now? Maybe more than ever. We, as Trinity Community Church, we need God desperately. We need you desperately. Israel was in a really desperate place. Verse 5, this is, this is Asaph, again, speaking to God. You have fed them, your people, with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. Verse 6, you Make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. 
Israel's in a desperate place. And so they pray this desperate prayer, not once, not twice, but three times. Verse 3, they say, restore us, O God. Verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts. Verse 19, it climaxes, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. You can almost hear the, the desperation, can't you? There's, there's this urgency there, and it builds. You can feel it. God's people are in a desperate place. This is a desperate prayer. God, restore us. God, restore us. That word restore means to bring back, to cause to return. I don't think Asaph has Israel's fortune and status in mind here. He's not praying that God would somehow find a way to, to get his people back their land and all of their things. Now, I think what he has in mind is the restoring of God's people to God himself. That's what Asaph has in mind here. It's the, the restoring of God's people to God himself. This is the, the strange and yet beautiful thing that can happen to us when our lives are leveled, when God begins to kick out from under us the crutches. It's in these moments when we begin to see just how reliant we really are on ourselves and not on him. I'm going to share a story with you um, just how God has graciously did this, uh, how he's done this in my life, uh, Kate's life. Um, just a few years back when our son Silas, some of you know this already, our son Silas was born, um, spent nearly two months in the NICU. Those, those days for us were unbearably long, difficult. They were hard days. Uh, we really thought that he would just be in and out of the NICU. A few days tops, we'd be bringing our baby boy home. But a day turned into two, two turned into many more, and then weeks upon weeks. Um, very confusing for us. God was bringing Kate and I through a difficult season of waiting. He was leveling us. We just didn't know it yet. Now, I think in our most raw and honest moments together, we wondered if God even cared. Uh, if, if he even saw our pain, we wondered what um, the pain or what the point of it all, of all the pain was. The hardest part of that season of uncertainty, of waiting, at least for me as a, as a husband and father, was that I, I could not do anything to change anything. I couldn't do anything to change anything, even if I tried. All I could do was wait. All I could do was wait. Looking back, um, I see that God was up to something in the waiting. He was not wasting the waiting at all. He was graciously leveling us, leveling me to keep us, to help us to see um, something that we could only see, I think, in that moment. Uh, I didn't know it then, but I needed God to restore me. And he was using that NICU moment to do just that. Silas um, would get these things called episodes. Episodes were just when his heart rate would drop uh, dangerously low, uh, and he would sort of hold his breath for a long period of time. So we would like rub his back. So I was always like hitting his back, rubbing his back to get him to start breathing again. Um, Silas would have these episodes. Every episode was just this sobering reminder 
to me that I would do, that I could do nothing to guarantee my son's next breath. And that really, in those moments, was a terrifying thing uh, to, to consider. God used those unbearable, those unbearably long, uh, uncertain, hard NICU days to, to really just flatten me, to level me. Little by little, God was showing, showing me that, that only he could be my everything. Little by little, my heart was being shaped and reshaped as I threw myself into the word and fed on God's promises each morning. Little by little, God was, he was stripping me away of self-reliance. Little by little, when I look back, little by little, he was restoring me. He was restoring Kate. Little by little, my prayers, they began to then take a much different shape. They went from, God, do whatever you need to do to just get my son out of the hospital. They shifted from that to even... Even if Silas spends another week, another day in the hospital, would you help me, help Kate and I to be satisfied in you, even if the week doesn't go the way that we want it to go? When God kicks the crutches out from us, when we're leveled in some way, it's in these moments when we are in the best position to cry out to God, would you restore me? Would you restore me? I know as a church family, the last, the last few months have not been easy. And I'm not going to pretend to know what you're feeling, uh, but I know that it has not been easy. But could it be that we as a church family are in the best position to cry out to the Lord together like this? Restore us, O oh Lord. Would you restore me? And not restore me like, God, would you restore uh, back my life to the way that, it, that I think it should be? Not, God, would you restore my dream of how my life, how I think my life should go? No, restore me like, God, would you give me you? Would you give me you? Help me to see and believe that when I've got nothing, I've got everything, if only I have you. God, I need you desperately. Would you restore me? Maybe you're here and you don't identify as a Christian this morning. I wonder, could today be the day uh, that you pray these words even for the first time? I hope so. Maybe God's leveling you in some way and just showing you that, that you'll never be satisfied in life until you are satisfied in him. A better job, it's not going to satisfy you in the end. More money, in the moment feels great, will not satisfy you in the end. Fixing your marriage, it's important. It's not going to ultimately satisfy you in the end. Becoming the best version of yourself, we hear this a lot, won't satisfy you in the end. These things, they're not bad in themselves, but they will not satisfy you. They can't. They were never meant to. Only Jesus, only Jesus can meet your deepest need for satisfaction because what you need more than anything is life in him. It's to know him, to have your sin forgiven so that you can be near to the Father forever. That's what you need more than anything in this life. 
And you can only get this by sinking all of your hope, all of your hope in Jesus himself. So if you're here today and you're following Christ, you would say, I'm a follower of Christ. I pray these things. God, restore me. I pray that these things would also be on your lips, too, and on your hearts. I pray that in the leveling of your lives, in the leveling of our lives, that we will take time to taste and see God himself uh, more and more, that he is good more and more than even relief from our pain and our troubles. Pray that when God levels our dreams for our lives, that we will be quick to pray, God, give me you. Help me see and believe that if only I have you, that is enough. God, I need you desperately. I need you desperately. Will you restore me? This psalm of lament, it ends with uh, leveled Israel singing these words. Verse 17. Would you look with me at verse 17? Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. That little phrase, son of man, here is just, it's another name for God's people in this, in this passage, but this, this son of man, the man of God's right hand that Asaph is talking about here in this psalm, it only points us to a greater son, the son of man himself, Jesus Christ. The one who came to put an end to all of our sin is coming back to put an end to our pain too. Jesus will put an end to our lament one day. As we wrap up, I want us to hear how our story is going to end if we know Christ. Revelation 21, starting in verse 3, familiar verses to us. This is how the story ends. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more tears. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the former things wiped away. Hold on to this, Trinity. Hold on to this, Christian. I heard one pastor say, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian, but not forever. Not forever. In the leveling of our lives, Psalm 80 invites us to pray, God, don't forget my pain. And God, I need you desperately. 
But even as we lament, we pray, church, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come.